City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a December edition of Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star review anywhere you can. Uh, and also, the All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's show, we're going to be sharing some of our kind of initial thoughts after the in-season tournament. Uh, touching on some Lamelo Ball talk after he spoke to the media for the first time, really, after his ankle injury the other day. And then finally, touching on some very, very early potential trade targets down the down the line that we're going to talk about here. So, um, Chase, how are you doing? I'm doing very well after a pretty light week of, you know, regular season NBA basketball. The in-season tournament kind of took over, I think, yeah. three of the last five or six nights of, of NBA action. So we only got two Hornets games in between our last pod and this one. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting back on schedule here with more frequent Hornets basketball. Absolutely. And we're recording this Monday before the Miami Heat game, uh, which should be an interesting game. I did a score prediction today and I predicted the Heat to win. But now I've seen that Kyle Lowry, I think, has been downgraded to doubtful as well. And I, I think the Hornets might, uh, might still won tonight. Uh, I'll, I have a thing, but... That will look either very clever or very stupid uh, by the time you listen to this. Uh, but as you mentioned, the Hornets schedule got a little bit changed around. Those two late games after the group stages were finished were added, which was against Chicago Bulls and Toronto Raptors, which if you're if you're trying to look at these things in terms of easy schedule, you're probably pretty kind two bonus games there for the Charlotte Hornets to get this year. Uh, one loss against the Bulls, one win against... Uh, the Raptors. I think if you'd always flipped it the other way, people would have been like, oh, that's fine. Um, but as always, the Hornets find the way to kind of like just reverse themselves. Um, I guess before we get into those games, you will watch some in-season tournament. I, I have a, Were you a skeptic back in the summer when we first talked about this? I have a feeling like you might have been like, okay, like a bit vanilla about it. Yeah, I don't know if I would, de- yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily be a skeptic, but yeah, I definitely wasn't like fully on board with it like I am now like I'm totally into it now I thought it was really fun the presentation of it was cool obviously the courts are a little bit much but everything else about like the production value of it and stuff thought seemed really cool it was nice that it was like a tournament style thing in Vegas I thought that was a an interesting addition for the NBA as well from not like necessarily an on-court perspective but 
the off-court stuff that they're gauging as the expansion rumors kind of ramp up here over the last couple of weeks too. But yeah, I, I'm definitely like fully on board with the in-season tournament now. It would have been nice if the Hornets could have made a little bit more noise in there. They technically were alive, I think, up until the last night when they could have beaten the Knicks yeah. by like 60 or something. And then five <laughs> other teams had lost by 30 and they would have gotten in. But maybe next year we'll have a little bit closer of a tiebreaker scenario to get in on the last day. Can can we make a pact right now, Chase, that if the Hornets make the knockout stage of the in-season tournament, that we are both going to Vegas and we do a live podcast from Vegas for the in-season tournament semifinals? Can we make that pact right now? Yep, I am virtually shaking your hand right now. We have a deal. That would be an all-time event right there. That would be incredible. Great. I will see you in 2060. We'll be perfect. There. Yeah, right there. There we go. We'll be uh, hopefully by then the flight will be a little quicker for you too. They'll have invented some sort of like light speed airplane. You'll get there in like a half hour. So yeah, maybe we're we're just we're waiting for a, a little bit of an easier schedule. That's what it is. Yeah, like like I say, I, I found I found it a lot of fun. It had me tuning into like games that I wouldn't necessarily normally like find the time to, but I really wanted to and. Uh, I watched a ton of it, and that that Bucks Pacers game was was exceptional. I think that was probably like the highlight game, really, of those Las Vegas things. But I, I'm glad it's gone down so well because I was a big proponent of it when it got announced, even when it was rumored. Um, I admit there will probably be some tweaks. I have to say, everyone was criticizing that 2 p.m. tip off time for that first game. As someone who lives in Europe, I can just say thank you to the NBA scheduling gods, and I think that's one thing like. People in the US will sometimes forget about so why are they scheduling this at 2 p.m. on like whatever it was a Thursday. And I will say part of the reasoning for that, part of it, not everything, but part of it will be we have the opportunity to engage international audience for the first time. You know, maybe they don't want to stay up for it, but if it's on at a good time, they'll watch it. And I know myself and a lot of the other people over here did. So, um, so I thought that was a, a really positive thing, and I'm looking forward to. Uh, in-season tournament next year already. I'm I'm excited. I'm officially in. Yeah, that's how you're actually. That's actually a very good point too that I didn't consider. I mean, you could just be trying to reel in the European soccer audience with how many, how often they've drawn those comparisons. So like trying to emulate a yeah European style in-season cup with now the NBA cup. So they, that I, I mean, the 2 p.m. start, you're going to get a lot of people that already kind of know the formatting of the event that you've got on TV right yeah. there. So good marketing. No, Absolutely. Big fans of the in-season tournament. Uh, looking forward to next year's. Hopefully the Hornets can make a, <laughs> a little bit more noise. That, Like you say, that would be nice. But it'll be interesting to see how the seeding works again. I think this year they obviously did it off records last year. So Hornets, I, I mean, who knows what it's going to look like. I imagine they'll probably be somewhere seeded, similar-ish, maybe a little bit better. But we'll have to wait and see for that. But the, the two games that have happened, um, let's... Let's touch on this one very briefly because uh, it was it was a hard one to watch. Uh, Chicago Bulls 111, Charlotte 100, uh, barely managed to get into triple figures here, um, and just generally, unless you were Terry Zero and Gordon Hayward, it was a pretty pretty tough game all round. Um, did you have any like major single takeaways from that Bulls game? I mean, that like you said, that one was one of the tougher watches of the season. I mean. I made, I think they were, yeah, 10 for 37 from three in that game. So they're just not a whole lot going in the way of, you know, deep range shot creation. It was pretty much just anything right at the basket or getting to the free throw line, which it's a tough way to win if you're only putting two points on the board every trip down. And even then only about half of the team was really playing, I guess, you, what you would say, a good offensive game. Like Hayward was good. Terry Rozier had 25 points on 24 shots. So, I mean, there it was just... Well, uh, pretty much a slog for most of yeah. the game. Barely and, got and no Mark Williams. Yeah. Obviously, I know Mark came back for the Raptors game, like didn't play many minutes, and he's doubtful again for the Miami Heat game tonight. He, he's clearly like uh, it was was hurt in that Raptors game. Was not at one hundred percent. I think that was clear. But I thought potentially a good window here into the potential impact of the offense because the last two games now, even against the Raptors, they got the win. The offense wasn't fantastic all the way throughout, but. Uh, no Mark Williams definitely hurting because as as, bi as big as everyone thought he's going to be an impact on the defensive end, actually offensively, I would probably say is where he has been better as like a finisher and role man this year or kind of like lob target inside. Um, so big loss for Mark Williams. And again, it's a shame that Nick Richards 
kind of got the opportunity coming off that concussion because, like, you, you know, you think he's actually got an opportunity to play well in that starting role, but not when you've not played for two weeks and you're still getting back to your wind and everything like that. So it's a little bit of a shame, I think, for Nick to get the opportunity just maybe like a week or two too early. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is for Nick is, like you said, what Mark has given the team on offense this year is probably more valuable than defense. Nick is probably not going to give you that offensively. So even when he does replace Mark, you're not going to get a lot of the same things, at least at a high level is what Mark is giving you. So it's going to look a lot different regardless. And right now, I mean, especially with LaMelo out, having that big man that's just such a reliable role man and finisher and has hands that and can catch anything in a wide catch radius is just a huge benefit for especially somebody like Terry Rozier that's, yeah. you know, pretty much a pick and roll ball handler type playmaker and not a huge like creative passer. So giving him that bigger target with better hands is very important. And that's probably what Nick is missing with Mark right now. But in any other situation, this would be like a perfect opportunity for Nick. Yeah. And it's uh, sometimes it just comes like knowing your own strengths. And that's what I think Mark Williams is really good at. He very rarely takes a shot that you go, Mark, you shouldn't have done that. Like he, he always takes the right shot. Um, Nick Richards, on the other hand, I think we saw in that Minnesota game towards the end when he tried to go for a left-handed like hook layup against Rudy Gobert in the paint. And that's one of those where it's like, like Mark Williams is not taking that shot because he knows he's got probably the premier rim defender in the NBA right in front of him and he doesn't have a big enough advantage or the ability to finish around him. And again, that's where like you're being conscious of your own strengths and weaknesses. That is like a huge part of staying in your lane and playing to your strengths. It's a big Cliffordism right there, play to your strengths. So yeah, it was a tough game for Nick. Um, but let, let's move on to our next game. The Hornets beat the Raptors 119 to 116 with another absolute offensive explosion. I mean, the Hornets shot 56% from the field, 52% from three. 90% from the free throw line against a Toronto team that if you look at them on paper, you think should be a good defense. They've been like top half of the NBA this year, but have been sliding over the last couple of weeks and just seems like an unhappy team. And we're going to talk a little bit about one of their players later on in our trade section. But overall, like the Toronto Raptors just look like a team that do not complement each other well at all. Like there's a bunch of interesting guys on there. They just do not work well together. I think you you look at all the three-point shooting stats, they're just bottom at every single shooting statistic there is. And you just can't play like that in the high-powered NBA. Um, you know, as good as Scotty Barnes was that game, you know, 31 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. The Hornets were just absolutely on fire offensively and were able to kind of, even though they battled back Toronto, able to stretch it back out there at the end with that strong fourth quarter. Yeah, it's honestly so wild watching the Raptors. Like, it's been, what, two years, basically, of this team just that kind of, like, lacks any Even sort more. of identity. Yeah, really. Yeah. Like, we're basically going back to, like, once, like, what, like, 2019 almost? Like, it was the, coming off it was of the, the COVID season. Where, left. Like, where did they play? It was the play down... Uh, in Tampa, right? Tampa. Yeah, they, they played, played in the Tampa. Whole, and that was the season where it all turned to crap. And I was like, well, it's yeah. weird. It's COVID. They're in Tampa all year, like... Everyone thought they were going to really bounce back. And I guess, like, they kind of bounced back. But it wasn't anywhere like what people people maybe thought. Right. And they just, they lack, like, any sort of, like, identity outside of everyone being, like, 6'8 and lengthy, which is, like, that is just something that you need on your team now. Like, that's not a selling point, And you can't just build around your team like that. It's just something every team has or needs that is going yeah. to be successful. And they're they just their selling point is just like like four years expired in for what yeah. you need to be like a successful NBA team. So it's it's kind of crazy to watch them repeatedly and not having made any moves yet. But maybe that'll be coming up here soon. And we might uh be mm. talking about that at the end of the podcast too. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, I mean at least this was this was a win and another good game from Gordon Hayward in this one too. He's 10 for th or 20 for 33 from the field in the last two games. So well he needed to bounce back. Because it, yeah. it got really bleak there. He just seems to be such a hot and cold player, man. And I think that's what you see with when players age. It's what you start to see is the inconsistency creep in. They have more nights where they just don't have it. And, and they can't do it every single night. They can do it every other night. And then it just slowly decreases. And maybe that's just what we're seeing with Gordon Hayward here with these, these hot and cold streaks. Um, 
I thought that was one of Brandon Miller's probably best games of the season. Uh, hit big shots, um, shot the ball really well from deep. Uh, Terry's here with another 13 assist game, following up in, I think, he had 13 assists in that Nets game as well. Um, he's playing really well at point guard at the moment. Um, hats off to Terry because a lot of people have given him a lot of crap over the years. And I think we talked about earlier this season that the, the point Terry minutes, the eye test wasn't great, but you actually look at the numbers and they're doing okay. And he's he's done a good job so far. So I think we need to give Terry Rizier some credit for his level of play coming back off that groin injury. Uh, and, and really, like, the offense hasn't been, well, too much of a problem apart from that Chicago game. Yeah, and even equally impressive to me, maintaining the scoring efficiency for the most part in a lot of these games too as that kind of lead option playmaker having the ball in his hands a lot. Like we've seen seen time and time again, like the best role for Terry on this team is playing off ball with LaMelo kind of creating space for him and hitting him for those catch and shoot threes. He's not able to do that right now. And he's pretty much just as effective of a scorer as he has been for most of this season. So definitely been... I mean, some of the best stretch of play that we've seen from Terry as a Hornet, maybe even over the last yeah, couple of weeks. I agree. And and people are going to be talking about great trading while you can. I've, I've been thinking about this for a little while, and I think I've said it on the podcast before, but I'm coming around to the thought even more now that like I just think Terry's ear is a really important part of this team. Yeah, um, I agree. I, they would they a, would really suffer if they traded him. It's like right absolutely. now, say they traded him, they would really, really suffer. Now, now, as a starter, that's where I like. I'm like, just Terry Zero's your sixth man is just the perfect, like, perfect for mm-hmm. both worlds in terms of he gives that second unit extra juice. He's there for Lamella Ball. Like we talked about, is pretty injury prone. Um, if if Lamella Ball goes down, Terry can step in the start. He's an emotional leader of the team. Um, he can score, he can distribute. Uh, it just makes so much sense as that sixth man. I think he'd be one of the best sixth men in, in the NBA. I really do. And he could even close some games if he's having a hot night or if the matchups are all right. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I think it's the, the defensively and, and the, the team just have, lacking that size, like all the benefits you get from having a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, point guard Lamelo, you lose when you've got basically a 6'1", shooting guard. Um, so I still see Terry Zier as a big part of this team. I wouldn't rule out moving him completely, but for me, you'd have to really ball me over because I, I don't think you're getting massive value on Terry trade market. I don't think he's a hot name in league circles. And I think he probably means more to the Hornets than probably most teams out there. Okay, let's move on to our next section here. Um, Lamella Ball spoke to the media uh, for the first time. And I have to say, Chase, this was a, a Lamella Ball interview that lasted over three minutes. This was... Lamella Ball was basically writing an autobiography in this interview. It was uh, it was just a great thing to see. And you know what? Giving actually like insightful, thoughtful answers. Um, so that's just something that like how often have we talked about a Lamella Ball interview on this show over the years? Uh, I mean, in a positive way and about its its length, I think this is probably the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he talked, there's kind of, we were going to play an audio clip at the end, but just to surmise some of different areas, I think he talked about, um, you know, that he's doing everything he can to get back. It feels way better than it was, which is definitely a, a, you know, progress. He's out of a walking boot. He's back wearing shoes. I think he was shooting around the other day. Um, one quote that stood out to me and he, he said this and you could tell from the way he said, it, he said, I knew it was the same ankle, the one that he had surgery on. So that messed with my head a little bit. I felt like I couldn't put any pressure on it at the time, so I didn't even really want to. And I've been there when I broke my ankle and I came back and I sprained my ankle within, I think, six months. I was so scared to put weight on it because I was worried that I was going to do it and then know instantly that I've never broken it again. And I think I remember when we looked back at Lamella Ball when he got injured, he put no weight on it at all and he got carried mm-hmm. off. And I think that's why a lot of people, including us, thought, this is going to be a two-plus-month injury. He couldn't even put weight on it. But now what we can see is, I think, it was in his head. He didn't want to try and put weight on it because he was, like, scared of what that could mean if he couldn't put any weight on it. But So definitely good to know. But also this tells me that this is beginning to get in his head a little bit, right? It, it's there. Every time that he's going to go down, every time that he's going to tweak it, it's going to be something. And this is going to be probably like a mental challenge 
that Lamelo is going to have to try and overcome here because, like I said, it messed with my head a little bit. That goes to show that you're having like really lack of confidence, you know, neg negative spiraling thoughts, which are not healthy for anybody, for any professional athlete, especially to have. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, it's obviously a good thing that it was in his head and wasn't like an actual, you know, severe injury that kept him out for a long time. But at the same time, like, what is going to make it so that like wouldn't be his reaction? I guess like I I I guess it would just be not getting hurt within that ankle like lower leg area for a while. But to this point, he has really struggled with that, and he hasn't really gone more than like a couple months without spraining an ankle or breaking it or having to rehab some sort of injury to it. So I mean, hopefully he can just get like like six months or a year even like without spraining his ankle badly or doing anything that re-aggravates this sort of injury. So he can get behind that behind him and just kind of put that mindset in the rear view. But I mean, for now it makes sense, but also like, I don't really know what he would do to get rid of that mindset. And it's definitely going to affect like the way that he plays. I would, I would have to think. I think we saw some of that last year when he came back. I definitely noticed yeah. he drove to the rim less. And we noticed this year, actually, he was driving to the rim more, uh, more than his first two years getting to the rim. Uh, his rim attempts were, were way up before his injury. That's something to keep out for. And I think that will be a good gauge of how healthy he is when when he does return. I'm still skeptical here. That he's going to be back anytime soon. He, he talked about how he still has a bit of a limp. Um, so if you're still like limping around, for me, that means you are still like multiple weeks uh, away from getting back on the NBA court. I mean, I, I'd be surprised to see him back before 2024. I, d I don't know. Are you more optimistic than that? Yeah, I was thinking maybe like post Christmas, like between Christmas and New Year's would maybe be a target date. But at that point, like you're right, like why not just kind of wait, turn the calendar and let him round out the year in 2024 and be like fully healthy, ready to go, have, you know, a week of conditioning under you by then, by the time you get back to. Yeah. Um, also, Lamella Ball talked about, he was praising Terry's ear, talking about, you know, his his strong play, just like we were doing five minutes ago. He also talked about Brandon Miller a little bit. He said, B-Mill has a lot of talent. He knows what to do out there. His game is mature. When he was playing in Tiro spot, I felt super great playing with him. He's a great player and vice versa. He's got my spot now, so him and T-Row are playing well. Um, kind of interesting here that, again, he, he talks about that he's got my spot, so Lamella Ball definitely envisions him playing with Terry Rozier, you know, his backcourt mate. That's his view on it right now, which, look, that's all Lamella has pretty much ever known since being in Charlotte. So I understand why he has that point of view. Um, but the fact that, you know, he said, I felt super great playing with him out there, that's a real boon to his confidence, I think. And I think we saw some of that connection with, Lamelo and Brandon Miller as well. So definitely positive things. You love to see your two franchise cornerstones seem to have a little bit of chemistry and, and playing well together. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I, I just want. I was also thinking. I, I don't know about what you what you would think about this. The way that I interpreted it as when I first read it was that he views Brandon Miller as like when he says he's in my spot now. Is he views Brandon Miller being elevated into like the number one player, number one option? Oh. like team leader of the team type of position when LaMelo goes down, because obviously that's like what, you know, the front office and the coaching staff would envision Brandon Miller in the future. But I mean, that's kind of, that was may I was, I thought I interpreted it that way at first. And then I was like, when I like heard him say it, I was like, oh, okay, probably just means like in the backcourt and whatnot. But I yeah. at least thought it was, it made me think a little bit. I was like, I wonder if like, that's like a LaMelo opinion or if like, the Hornets as coaching staff and front office view Brandon Miller mm. as like their secondary, like leading score playmaking option. And Terry is kind of like just a backcourt player that can shift over to point guard and become a distributor when needed. It just a thought. The, the, the thought has piqued my interest. Yeah. Um, it's piqued my interest. I will keep an eye out for it. Um, interestingly, they talked about Steph Curry which is obviously someone who had ankle issues about the mother ball brought up Steph Curry. The interviewers missed a real trick here asking if he had spoken to Steph Curry, which I think would have been a great question to, to understand about that kind of ankle rehab recovery. Um, that was, I was like, let me be there. Let me ask the question. Um, <laughs> but most interestingly, there was kind of a, the, the whole 
uh, ankle bracegate. That's what we're going to call it, ankle bracegate uh, with the mother ball, where he said he was going to wear ankle braces at media day, then to Walker Mel, locked on Hornets, he apparently mentioned that he they were uncomfortable and he wasn't wearing them. There's a little bit of confusion, and he spoke about it. So I'm going to try and share the audio here because I feel like this isn't a quote that I can read. This is a little bit audio, really, that you need to have here. So uh, this is the first time we've shared audio on the podcast, so please bear with us, folks. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, uh, hopefully this works too. But uh, we're just going to play this last little bit of audio. This is a conversation between Rod Boone and Lamella Ball ch- talking about ankle braces. Uh, here we go. So I just leave it up to God. I don't really trip. And just last thing is with the braces. Do you, you plan on still not wearing braces? Or how's the, how, what happened with the braces thing? Play it by the day. See, see what happens. I try some things out. You see how it feels. But the ones I had so far, I, I wouldn't wear those. So you want some, basically some, some what do you call it? I don't know. I don't know. So you would have to present it to me. Let me try them and like, see. Like some, some ones made right for you, basically. Yeah, custom fit joints, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so that was Lamelo there, and I think you can probably tell by some of his mannerisms there. Like that's why we wanted to share the audio. I guess listening to that, Chase, how did you interpret that kind of conversation? Do you sense a little bit of a little bit of tension in there about the topic? Yeah, it seems like he might be a little bit frustrated, not just with like the idea of wearing ankle braces, but at least with the fact that he's tried like multiple different kinds, or at least whatever kind that. The Hornets medical staff or whoever gave them to him have given him and he didn't like them. So I'm sure getting asked about it again and being like, I've only tried ones that I don't like. Like, I'm not going to wear ones that I don't like. So until then, like, we're just this is how it's going to be. Like, I get that he would be frustrated about that, like completely. And I mean, I totally understand also just being uncomfortable and not wanting to wear them. Like, obviously, it would probably be like better for him to wear them. But I mean, even then, like, braces aren't, like, a preventative measure. It's just, like, support for your ankle. He could still get hurt wearing braces. So if they're not going to be comfortable or if they're, like, so uncomfortable to the point where it just bothers him and he doesn't feel like he can play to the best of his ability while he was wearing them, then I don't know. I guess he's just not going to wear ankle braces. But, I mean, also, I would hope that they would continue to try and find some more that would maybe be more comfortable for him as well instead of just kind of pushing the envelope with, you know, similar models that he doesn't like clearly <laughs> well I, I mean i've got a lot of questions for this um how many different types of ankle braces are there because yeah. i know there's like different makes right and different probably brands but when when i look at like proper ankle braces they're all of the same like design and structure now now maybe there's some really like futuristic stuff out there which you don't get on the open market and pro sports teams can and if that's the case but when when there was like a bit where Lamelo kind of interjected and just said, I don't know, like that was the bit where you're kind of like, it, it felt like there was a sense of, it, it's been a topic that has frustrated him. And I don't know if that's because it's frustrated him because the media keep asking him about it and he feels like he's given an answer. I don't know if it's because he's frustrated with like the situation and that he's feeling pressured by the team to wear them. And now there's the media asking him about the same thing. And he like is fed up of giving the same answer. Um, I don't know if he's frustrated because he can't find the right ankle braces. I, I don't know, but there's, I definitely sense frustration and tension in there. And I don't know what the source of that is. Um, look, like you said, look, ankle braces are not like a solve to spraining your ankles. Okay. It can, it can, I don't even know what the science says. Um, I'm sure it can, like say, help be a preventative measure. And I know when I've played with ankle braces on, my ankle definitely feels more secure. It, even if it's like just mentally, it helps me. Now, clearly with Lamelo, it doesn't mentally help him. And like Lamelo is someone who I think probably like believes a little bit in superstition. And if he had those ankle braces on for the first set of games where he was playing poorly, took them off and started playing really well, you can understand someone like kind of like buying into that own superstition of, well, this is just not meant to be. But I don't think you can put this on the Hornets medical staff. Like I know some people have done where it's like, well, they, why have they not making him wear ankle braces? You can't, you cannot make someone do this thing. This is much more complicated than that. It has to be a joint decision. You can recommend, you can make suggestions, but ultimately it's the mellow ball who makes the final call of what he does and doesn't wear. 
And I, I can promise you, look, the medical staff aren't just laying around saying, well, we've only got this one pair, Lamello. So if you want to, if you want to wear ankle braces, it has to be this one. They will, whatever he wants, they will get him. Okay. Um, and he has to work collaboratively with them. So I just hope that that process and conversation is happening. Um, anything more on the mellow? Get well soon. Um, surprisingly, the team has not been quite as uh, poor of a watch as I expected when he was out, but we all know how much more fun it is to watch it's, when he's on the court. The Hornets are just like the most, this is the most Hornetsy. Yeah, yeah. Where it's it like really is. win enough to like not be relevant in the play-in, but don't win like don't not win any so that you're completely ruled out, laughing stock of the NBA. You're just caught in this like no man's zone between the Wizards and the Pistons and the Bulls and the Raptors and everyone else. I mean, these things could change, but right now it just feels like you win one in three games, um, something of that nature, and like it's. But what does it all really mean? And is there any real recipe for success here? That's kind of how it feels at the minute. I can't lie. It just feels like many other forgetful sub-500 Hornets years. Um, can't lie. That's just what it feels like, Chase. I can't blame you. I mean, it really does just kind of feel like a like a holding pattern almost right now, especially with LaMelo out. But even until like the end of the year when we expect that there are almost certainly going to be changes, it's just like, we're just kind of waiting to break out of that, like no man's land, like you said, in like 11 to 13th in the, in the East. And you know what we're going to get this this offseason with, you know, new leadership in place? It will be, well, this is, you know, just year one of the retooling, year one of the rebuild. We got to be patient. Got to be patient. Yep. Yeah. You got to wait. We got to, we got to set our plan into action. We got to evaluate. Yeah. We got to move forward slowly. You're getting all that this offseason. So you don't um, want to shop when you're hungry, right? You don't shop when you're hungry. Exactly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, uh, let's move on to part two. But before we do, I want to tell you about allhornets.com, a credential shell Hornets media outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. Allhornets.com aim is to bring you 360 degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets. From breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, in-depth analysis, allhornets.com does it. Allhornets.com covers it and nobody does it better. Um, and allhornets.com, we are not we are not stopping, despite my stutter, we are not stopping over Christmas, the holiday period here. You can see we have some delightful Christmas decorations on today's YouTube stream. Uh, we are Christmassing it fully up in here. And we are still going to be coming with the game previews, the recaps, um, everything you need to know. And in terms of the podcast, this is something that I've meant to mention at the start. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break over the Christmas period. Um, me and Chase have been going at this every single week now, pretty much almost, I, d I didn't even know. It feels like a long time. We maybe had a I little break. since July, right? Since yeah, like I summer mean, league ended, I think. Yeah, we. I'm, I have the baby. Um, I think we might have had a week off. But, you know, this podcasting thing, it, you know, it's tiring. There's a lot of prep. There's a lot of work that goes into this. We don't just rock up and talk. Hopefully you can tell that by the prep that goes in. So <laughs> over the Christmas period, we're going to have a couple of weeks off. Um, we're going to have some pre-recorded videos, uh, sorry, podcasts with guests, which we're going to release. There'll be some nice evergreen content looking at some fun topics. Um, so, uh, I can't reveal who those guests will be just yet, but there'll be a couple of guests that you've seen before, maybe one you've not. Um, but we're still going to have content coming out, but it's not going to be me and Chase doing our weekly show. Um, so make sure you tune in for that. And this will probably be our last episode of 2023. 
Um, and maybe we should have done something looking back at our episodes. If we were more organized, we'd do that. But there's too much there's too much Hornets content in the season to do that, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. December is like one of the busiest times of year. We yeah. got we got to get like a a Streamyard wrapped sent to us, and we can just post it for our listeners. Streamyard Streamyard wrapped. That's a great idea. Yeah, you make some money on that one. Okay, uh, let's move on to our last topic of the day. And I sent you a message saying, Chase, I know it's December. I know we have the whole of January and February to do trade talks ahead of the trade deadline. But I want to talk about OG Ananobi. Um, because it was rumored today, uh, reported today by Sham Sharania of The Athletic, that both OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam are very much seems to be attainable at trade. Siakam more so than Ananobi. For the Toronto Raptors, who have disappointed this year, 9-13, and 13, only two wins better than Charlotte. Obviously, the Hornets just beat the Raptors team, and we were talking about how just disappointing and flummoxed the Raptors just generally looked. And we talked a few weeks ago, for those who've been listening, about what does this team need? We talked about defense, positional size, toughness, three-point shooting. And I've just come to the realization that OG Ananobi is just the perfect person to tick pretty much every single box that we were talking about there. Um, now, I will admit, it is not good timing for this front office to make a big move because I think they're lame ducks. I think the the new ownership are still evaluating this team and making any sort of move for OG and AB, and we'll get into the details around that soon, is going to be kind of complex and require, you know, major decisions to be made on players and draft picks. Um, but equally, my worry is that once you've got past this evaluation period, this off season, next season, that you look back and we got we were, we go, oh my gosh, the perfect thing that this team needed all along was in the trade market, but it was just six or twelve months ago and the Hornets weren't ready to make the move. But OG Ananobi is a guy who I think could be gone maybe before the trade deadline, so we might not get to speak about a lot. So I want to talk about him now. Chase, what, what was your reaction when I said that I wanted to speak about OG Ananobi? So I'm like completely on board with you. Like OG Ananobi to me is, and I think this is partially why he hasn't been traded, is not somebody that's like an all-star level guy that you're going to give up multiple first round picks for. But he is somebody that is like a great supporting piece to put around players that you kind of already have in place that are those like all-star caliber guys, which in an ideal world, the Hornets do have those players in LaMelo and Brandon Miller. You put OG Ananobi on the perimeter with those guys. You have like a defensive specialist among the three. You have a guy that, like you said, is extremely tough and like plays really smart basketball. And on top of that, over the last two years, and, and I feel like this is something that's probably gone a little bit under the radar. OG Ananobi is a 39% free throw shooter or three point shooter on six attempts per game. Like he has pretty consistently throughout his career been almost a 40% shooter on high volume. And yeah. what are these mostly on catch and shoot threes? What is he going to get a lot of playing next to LaMelo and Brandon Miller catch and shoot threes. And he really is like a perfect fit on, on and off the court multiple ways the versatility that he would add to the lineup would be a huge thing for the coaching staff to be able to tool different or tool together with different lineups so i am fully on board the og ananobi wagon and i don't know what it would take to get him necessarily for the hornets but i mean obviously there's a price for everything but i, I would be willing to maybe overpay a little bit to get him yeah. now rather than wait for free agency when as we have seen time and time again the hornets do not have a leg up uh, when players go to the open market. So I think he would be a guy that's worth like giving up something for now to ensure that you have him at least for half a season to convince him to sign an extension. Yeah. So OG Ananobi, 26 years old, has a, an $18.6 million player option this summer, which he is widely reported is going to decline, uh, which he absolutely should because he will make maybe double that money. Um, if not significantly more. Interestingly, off the new CBA, he can actually receive quite a sizable extension. So in the new CBA, you can go up to 140% of the original contract rather than 120%. So you can actually, he would sign an extension right now for 29 million per year, 
annual average salary there. Uh, you could do something starting like the 26 range, finishing in the 32 range. Um, now, Mark Stein has reported that OG Ananobi is not interested in signing that. Um, what hasn't been reported is, is that because it's in Toronto, where there's also been rumorings and murmurings about him wanting to have a bigger role. He wants to have the ball in his hands more, be more of a decision maker, maker and have a bigger offensive role, which this is where I think the Charlotte Hornets can kind of come in in some, some regard. Because a lot of these playoff level teams looking to add OG Ananobi, he is not having a bigger role than he has in Toronto. You're going there to stand in the corner, shoot threes and defend because he's not a great, you know, he doesn't have a great assist percentage. He's not a creator. He's not a great like two point real scorer guy creating shots. That's going to be his role. In Charlotte, just because there isn't quite as much talent as in some of these title contenders, they probably have got some more rope to give him that. Um, so I think, look, an extension, if it was to the right spot, he might potentially look to to do it. I, I'm i not, you know, tricking myself into thinking if he was traded to Charlotte, he'd sign that extension because just being realistically, the, the, work, the league just doesn't work that way for a team like the Charlotte Hornets where they are in that situation. I, you know, OG wouldn't probably want to sign up for four years when you look at the, the history of the Charlotte Hornets. But um, there are there are options out there, depending on what he wants to get out of it. If he's not just about team success, if he wants to have some personal opportunity, it, it's interesting, right? And you talked to him being, a, like say, a high 33-point shooter. He's one of the most disruptive defenders in the league, has unbelievable hands, steals, blocks, um, spends a lot of time guarding ball handlers, like a lot of time. I think 48% of his time, he is essentially guarding the other team's uh, ball handler, whoever that is. So talk about point of attack defense, the perfect guy. And he does it with like a below average foul rate for someone of his position, which considering how aggressive he is and how hands he is, is just pretty outstanding. It's like what Dennis Smith Jr. was very similar, had that low foul rate while giving you that defense. Um, his on-off numbers in Toronto over his career is just like absolutely outstanding. Um, they're always better with him on both ends when he is on the court versus off. Um, so it it's just very interesting guy. And like you say, I would normally like Zach Levine. I'm so out. I'm not interested in Zach, Zach Levine whatsoever. But OG Ananobi just he there aren't many people like we talked about who fit that exact need. And he ticks every single box. And his weaknesses are mitigated by this team's and roster strengths, in my opinion. So, like you talked about, if it's via trade, and we'll, we'll get on to the, the two options, because if if he doesn't sign an extension, he will be a free agent this offseason. Um, and he'll be able to sign anywhere, and Charlotte are one of the teams that could get the cap space. Uh, and if he's wanting north of that 20, 30 million per year, there aren't that many teams that can give it to him. No, and one of the things that I was looking at, too, is if you're going to say the Hornets actually did make this move in season for him this year, there's really not that many types of or trade frameworks here with in terms of salary anyway. It's basically you give Gordon Hayward and you get OG and then a little bit more salary back like Chris Buescher or something like that. Or you trade Terry Rozier for OG and then either just give up draft assets otherwise, or you just match salary with the remaining players uh, in the, in that trade there. So it, it depends on like what type of player that you want to give up, but I mean, it's, there's very clear routes to being able to make this trade happen this season. If that they went down that route, I can't imagine that they would, but say that there's some sort of like signal from the higher ups that this is a player we'd be interested in long-term regardless of you know what happens down the road or down the summer in term for the front office staff long-term extensions and whatnot i mean it's there but i i it would just be a quite a move to make i think in the in the time being between now and the end of the season but it is definitely in there for I, the making I, if they want to pull the trigger on and it. this is why again like you can't just let opportunities like this slip through your fingers because yeah, it's not exactly. every day that someone of this level like comes like clearly available on the trade market or becomes free agent like free agency is almost died to the point like we've seen the free agency options last few summers everyone's signing extensions now and like it's sign extension and trade later um if he was available this summer i would 
definitely entertain ways to try and create flexibility and to give him a large contract. Um, that you know, because you've got guys like you've got Lamelo Ball. I know he's on a, a max now, but it's a, a rookie base max. So it's still quite small compared to like some of the super maxes that are floating around. You've got Brandon Miller and Mark Williams and rookie scale contracts. You can probably afford to give someone like OG Ananobi a big four-year deal because it's not like you're locked into all your core guys playing big money. So even if it was an overpay, I mean, it would just would be an overpay. It would have to be because you're paying for him to come to a team with limited success. You're paying on free agent market, like we see what Gordon Hayward. If Gordon Hayward got 35 million coming off his year that he had in Boston, I, you know, I think OG Ananobi will get at least that. And I know Raptors fans from you know, speaking to some media there, they're getting a little bit, you know, he, he's not filling up the box score to pay him 35 plus million this summer. And where is this team going if they do that? Um, so there's definitely some questions. You, you talked a little bit about, you know, some of the trades, like you said, you could do the, the Rosier for, uh, Rosier for Ananobi move just works straight up. I don't like love it because again, like I talked about earlier, I, I want to keep Terry Rosier. And I know you have to give up something. And, and if it was have to, like, do you, do you do it? Yes. But I don't think he has anything like the value that Toronto are looking for coming back. And this comes down to what is Masai looking for, the GM of the Raptors? Is he looking for young players and draft picks to rebuild? Or is he looking to retool, you know, bring in some more shooting, use someone like OG? I mean, you could do like Rozier and PJ Washington for basically Ananobi and throw-ins of Otto Porter and Thad Young and, and you'd have to be draft picks attached to that as well. Um, you know, one of the suggestions I saw on a, a trade was like Jaden Ivey, a first and a second, basically for OG Ananobi. So that's the sort of kind of level of value that I think Toronto are looking for, like good young prospect and a draft pick. But again, it just comes down to what Masai is looking for. Are they looking for that youth or are they looking for guys who help them wins now? And I think the reporting on that's been really, really mixed. And that's why it's hard to get a grasp of what that trade market is. Yeah, the, with the direction that the Raptors have gone so far, like they've obviously let go of Fred Van Vliet, like Pascal Siakam on top of OG Ananobi. Siakam is probably even more commonly rumored to be traded this season and is yeah. obviously a little bit better of a player, so he's going to be a hotter commodity as well. But, I mean, it seems like they're leaning towards like blowing it up, but like you said, like what do they want in return for blowing it up? Like are they trying to do like, kind of like a half rebuild because they have Scotty Barnes, Grady Dick, they have Gary Trent as like a good role player that's in place. Like they could theoretically like kind of piece it together and just change the way that their team looks and become a, you know, play in low tier playoff threat again, like fairly quickly. But then again, like they could just tear it down and rebuild around Scotty and Grady Dick and just kind of see where it goes as a more of a bottom tier team going forward. But yeah, I mean, the, the ter Terry for OG straight up, that's not my favorite thing either because you're probably including like multiple draft picks. Um, I was going to say, I, like I, I would absolutely do it straight up. I, I never oh, yeah, think Toronto sure. would do it, but you, it would be like Terry and probably like a first and and something else. Like yeah. just being realistic. It's probably what it would like be. Like two seconds or something, probably like that. Like, yeah. But yeah. I, there, the other option, I think, if you can just match... So Gordon Hayward makes over 30 million og is like a little bit more than 18 obviously the salary differences are way too high to just do them too if you throw like chris busher in or something and take i think he's signed for two more years and that's at like 11 million dollars off the books for the raptors a player that's just kind of a role player that's probably not somebody that they're super invested in long term especially with how many other bigs and forwards they have on the roster then maybe i don't know if you're I guess it, it all depends on how the Raptors are looking at their own players and their direction going forward. But if that to them is a positive, taking the salary off their books, maybe you give up like Gordon Hayward, a first and like a low value second for that in turn from taking off a OG Ananobi, who's not going to resign with the Raptors and B taking another, you know, $11 million off the books for the next couple of years for Toronto. So mm. there, there are a couple of different ways to look at it, but, from the Hornets' perspective, it's all just kind of the same. The Tor Toronto, we just have to wait and see kind of how they're going to play this going forward here. Yeah. And there's no doubt, like, you know, Oklahoma City have been rumored to have interest. The Memphis Grizzlies have been rumored to have interest. Indiana all those teams can, yeah, they can all blow probably Charlotte's offer out of the water. Unless you're mm -hmm. putting unprotected first-round picks out there, 
which then Charlotte probably have some value. Um, but that also carries a great amount of risk for someone who is a non-All-Star. Let's just be blunt. He's not an All-Star player. I don't know if he ever would be unless he's on like a 55-plus team and they want to reward him for his defense. But let's let's just – we'll come back to the trade market in a minute. Free agency. The max contract he can receive is $182 million per year. That's $45.5 million. Let's say he was a free agent. He has a meeting with the Charlotte Hornets. Um, now we'll talk about how we get there in here, but what is the max amount of money that you would pay Rosie and Anobi, knowing that we have to overpay for being the Charlotte Hornets, knowing that you have to be willing to overpay because of his, you know, rare skill set and fit with this team? How high are you going in an OG Ananobi sweepstake? See, I think 30 million is like a pretty good number for players that are like on the cusp of being an all-star, but not quite there. Like, like I'm, I agree with you. He's probably not ever going to be an all-star player unless it's a very specific situation, but he is still very good. And as somebody that will, you know, garner votes or consideration or something, if he has like a good start to the year leading up to the also when the all-star period is, but I think, I mean, but then again, it's like the Hornets just need to be willing to, you know, push like into the tax a little bit and really start spending money here to, bring players in and show players like wouldn't that be a great first impression for the new right exactly free agency in year one you go out and you spend big on exactly what this team needs exactly Exactly. the fans can see it if we can see it analysts can see it the owners can see it it's all the same thing steve clifford would kill to have a guy like ojananobi on this team so it's how else are you going to fill that need like i've talked about guys like naji marshall josh akoji like these are kind of like Similar, like they're interesting, but like they can't shoot the ball like yeah. OG Ananobi can. They can't guard like OG Ananobi can. These guys just, they're not easy to find. Right. And it's like you have the Gordon Hayward contract coming off the books. Like, so we, we this is going to take us back to like four years ago when Lamella was drafted and Gordon signed that contract. The idea was like, okay, in four years, Lamella is going to basically re- replace him in that max slot. And then maybe we can use Gordon's contract as a way to get another player in that can also make that kind of money and pair him with another all-star player. Because especially at the time, we weren't assuming that we were going to get the number two pick and be able to draft Brandon Miller. But obviously, they got lucky and did that. So now, if you can capitalize on that salary slot and turn that $30 million that Hayward is making into like a player that's making $30 million over the next three or four years, if that like you are in great position to have three good high salary players all on your team really for the price of two because it's just LaMelo and OG and then you have Brandon Miller growing yeah. into that player on a rookie scale deal so if they can capitalize on that they're going to be in really really good position like roster building going forward and i think i mean at least for me that was the vision like back in 2019 when all of this came together with LaMelo and Hayward in that offseason yeah I think for me, I would go up to 35, 36 million for Ojan and Navy. I think with the the way the TV money is going to come in, um, I think in year three and four of that, that will be like perfectly good for like a just below all star level player. And I'd be I'd be willing for the team to pay. So I, I think I'd go to that much. The wild card we have not talked about is Miles Bridges, who could factor into this in multiple ways. One even though he has a no trade clause, he can technically be traded before this trade deadline. And you could also sign and trade him in the summer as well. So like, let's let's not focus too much on the exact, exact mechanics of how it would happen. But if the Toronto Raptors were interested in Miles Bridges, suddenly that makes the deal seem a lot easier. You know, instead you're not giving up future first round picks from OKC and Memphis, which would probably be in like the teens or the twenties. You're getting like a guy who is a 28 and three type of player who is in his prime. If you're looking to retool now, he's a potentially guy who could be of interest. Um, again, I have no idea what the interest is in Miles Bridges as a person, as a basketball player from other teams. But I'm just saying, if that is something of interest, like Miles Bridges would waive his no trade clause and go to my. Uh, Toronto with the understanding, yeah, I want to sign there if I'm going to get a max or something in the summer. That's a fascinating thought exercise, but it's just there's too many if and buts 
and too many reasons why it probably wouldn't happen that I allow myself to get too far down that road. But if, if it did come to that, do you think a Miles OG swap kind of makes some sense for both teams? I am fully on board with using Miles as uh, like the team's primary trade chip. If mm-hmm. teams are, you know, willing and able to trade for him and be comfortable with what's transpired over the last year plus. Yeah. Like to me, he is the by far, far and away the best player that you're going to be able to trade and get something back for. Like you said, adding miles to that OG trade probably eliminates the need to trade more than like a heavily protected first round pick. Like if you're giving them whatever salary matches and then miles bridges for OG, like they're pretty similar levels of player. Like you're not even really downgrading all that much. If you're Toronto, they're just different types, right? Miles is a creator slasher. Like he can shoot a bit, um, probably more offensively versatile. OG is more skewed towards the defensive side of the ball. Right. And if you get a player like that in return, rather than like trading to for for OKC, for example, we can imagine that OKC is just going to be like, here, here's, 94 first round picks you can have whichever ones you want and then just match the salary with davis bertans and we'll call it a day like that is something the hornets are just not gonna be able to compete with but the hornets can offer miles bridges who is a young player coming off of a terrible off-court situation which is the big mystery in all of this but apart from that he's young he's still in his prime he's been Oh, very productive in the games that he's played so far this year and was productive before that, like gives the Raptors a much different look offensively than what they've had over the last couple of years on the wing. Like if that's something that they're interested in that, I would be so, so in favor of that. And I'm just in favor of using him in general as like a trade chip at the deadline. If they can get him to accept the trade to, you know, really any team that they would have a deal with, which is the, another big hang up on top of the, how teams will view him. But, I mean, he's the the guy that you're going to get something good in return for, to me, if you trade him. Yeah. Um, I think I might be out of OG talk here. But yeah, in so. terms of get, getting free agency, getting creating that space for you know a 35 to $40 million contract, it wouldn't be straightforward, okay? I think they can get up to just over $26 million if Miles Bridges is not, not here. And you still then need to find another... 10 or 15 at that point and you can do that by trading i don't know a pj washington at the trade deadline around the draft like there's ways to do it that it's not impossible but it's not like straightforward that they can just do it a click of the fingers but if if they really wanted to make the pursue it they could find a way to make it happen um last thing before we before we wrap up if og ananobi again there's not been any reporting that charlotte are interested at all even though I think they should be. And I think we've both established that really clearly. Um, if they can't, we talked about Oklahoma City. What about uh, a knockoff version of Ojan and Obi? A little bit smaller, but Lou Dort, who in a Oklahoma City situation, which is full of like young players coming through, um, you have Lou Dort, who's there, 24 years old, is averaging 14 points, four rebounds, two assists, Again, another really good on-ball defender. Only 6'3", but built like wider, I think, than he is tall, Ludor. Um, oh, yeah. Not as good a shooter as OG Ananobi, but still has his moments. Do you think he could be a lower cost, again, more cost-controlled option who would feel like some of those same like defensive toughness, that side of things, that Oklahoma City could be, be looking to upgrade that role on a little bit? I haven't thought much about Lou Dort as a Charlotte Hornet, but that is very interesting right off the bat. And I mean, OKC needs to start kind of offloading some of these guys here soon. Anyway, they have a lot of young players coming up that either a are going to have their extensions start kicking in or B need to sign extensions that are going to kick in soon. I'm sure they want to keep Isaiah Joe around for a while as well. They've just got a lot of decisions to make here financially. And Lou Dort is like you said, he's a six, three defensive guard. That's not really a great shooter. He's at 33.5% for his career, even though he is at a little under 38% this year. So maybe if that holds up, the Hornets could kind of get in early in the, on the Lou Dort shooting renaissance. But yeah. even if not, like just putting that type of player in the backcourt with Lamelo and Terry Rozier, I think is a perfect like 
mix. I'm a big fan of kind of varying the looks that you're going to get from the types of players you have on your team. Like, especially that's one of my big arguments with the center position for the Hornets right now. If they could fill that at the guards by getting like an off ball shooter that can slide onto the into the point guard and Terry, you have your lead creator and obviously one of the best three point shooters from range in the league in Lamelo. And then you have like a defensive specialist that's really strong and aggressive and is at least like a confident three point shooter in Lou Dort. That would be a very good triumvirate in the backcourt there, I think. Yeah. And certainly would cost less than OG Ananobi as well. He makes less money per year. You're obviously not going to have to trade a first round pick, I wouldn't think, to get Lou Dort as long as you give the Thunder something in return anyway. So, well, yeah, that, PJ that would be another PJ Washington thing. looks set in any Lou Dort deal. They basically make the same money. Um, PJ is probably someone whose skill set would actually fit quite nicely on the OKC team, like would fit nicely yeah. next to Chet. Could play both like small ball five or play the four, can stretch the ball more, can make decisions, you know, high high IQ offensive player. So I, I think if it's just if they were looking at this saying we just need to change up the, the makeup of our roster. Now look, they're second in the West. I don't think they're looking to break anything up right now. But if an opportunity were to occur at some point down the line, even if it's next season, right, after they get this draft pick or they they make a massive trade for a two-guard, I don't know, Paul George or something, whatever happens, because they've got the assets to do it. And if at that point Lou Dort becomes, oh, we could maybe try and find somewhere to flip Lou Dort here, Charlotte should be one of the first organizations on the phone to have that conversation. Because like you say, it is a cheaper, cost-controlled version. So um, again, we, we this will not be the last time we talk about trade options for the Hornets at the deadline. But um, as we are approaching 2024, I just wanted to get a couple of early topics in there because I thought they were both interesting. Glad we got to discuss it. Transaction analysis is one of my favorite things, and I know the, the NBA universe feels the same way, so I'm sure yeah. plenty of our listeners were nodding along in agreement with our OG Ananobi discussion here. Okay, Chase, this is going to be the last time we speak, probably before. Let's have a look here. There's some point in early January. Let's let's call it January 6th, okay? 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 13. Okay, there are 13 games before January 6th. We might speak, we might speak earlier. It might be the week before. What do you think? Let's let's just go after 10 games, the next 10 games. What do you think Charlotte's record is going to be the next time that we speak on this podcast? So let's say after 10 games, Ooh. which would take us Ooh. to basically 2024. Let's let's get a record prediction here to finish the podcast. They are currently seven and thirteen. The games, I'll run through them for the listeners while while you're thinking. Back to back against Miami, then they play New Orleans, Philadelphia, on the road at Toronto, on the road at Indiana, and then we have the West Coast road trip. Uh, host Denver before playing the LA Clippers, LA Lakers, Phoenix, Denver, uh, and Sacramento. What are you thinking they're going to go here? Oh, so I remember a couple episodes ago we were talking like, oh, the Hornets really need to pick up a couple wins here. Because yeah. the schedule is going to get really tough. They did not pick up that couple of wins. And now the schedule has gotten really tough. Uh, I mean, I just playing Miami twice. I think I'll give them one win there. I'll give them. Oh, it's a, oof, that's a long West Coast road trip. Oh, God. I don't know if that makes me want to give them more wins or less. Because they're going to be out there for so long. I'll I mean, they're generally. The I don't think trip. they finished above 500 on that West Coast road trip for no. what feels like a long time. Uh, maybe the four, the 47 win team from under Clifford. Uh, I think they went like three and two or four and one for that West Coast. But they, they, they generally come back with like one or two wins yeah. every single year. Is how it feels. Over Christmas is maybe like a, a good thing in some ways because maybe some guys have heads are elsewhere from some of the good teams. I, I don't know, but it's always a struggle. Yeah, I'll give them. I'll give them two on the West Coast road trip. We'll be optimistic, and then there'll be there'll be one random one. Oh, Toronto! They'll beat they'll beat Toronto again. That'll we'll throw that one in there. So that that's four wins right there. So they're going to be a smooth, probably four and six or four and seven between the next time that we speak. Which I don't know about win percentage wise, but that's got to be pretty close to what they are on the season with seven thirteen seven thirteen right now. So. Keeping it mm. consistent here with uh, some slightly below or moderately below 500 basketball over the next couple weeks. 
Yeah, I just, for me, like they've only shown the ability right now to win games when they essentially have shoot like 50% from the field and <laughs> like historic plus. shooting percentages. <laughs> yeah. The Nets game and the Raptors game is the only games they won. They were both close and the Hornets played incredible offensive games. Yeah, they, so, they made NBA history in both of these wins. This is a good ratio, a one win per historic event. So at yeah. least we're getting that right now. I'm going. I'm gonna be. I'm just gonna be pessimistic because look, if, this is one thing we've <laughs> learned. If you want to be close to being right on the Charlotte Hornets, be pessimistic. Uh, I'm going that they're gonna be get two wins out of ten. So I'm gonna say they're gonna be nine and twenty-one the next time we speak. Um, I, I was I was thinking ten, just but then I thought ten and twenty, but that's too much symmetry to be ten and twenty. That makes me feel all weird and off. So I'm going nine and twenty-one the next time we speak. Um, it's going to be a rough holiday period. Make sure you stock up on the booze, the food. <laughs> Enjoy that. Um, don't Spike invest too dog. much. Yeah, don't invest too much into the emotions of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, like we said before, it's going to get it's going to get worse. I think here before it gets better. Um, but yeah, Chase, this will be the last time we speak before uh, maybe live before the uh, the vacation period. So uh, I hope you and your family have a a lovely Christmas time. You're able to take some time off work, and uh, I will speak to you in in January 2024. You too, James. I hope you and your family and your your wife and son have a great Christmas, first Christmas together too. I'm sure that's going to be very exciting for you and all your family. And I hope all the listeners out there as well have a great holiday season. Anybody that's listening along, thank you for spending your entire 2023 listening to us talk Hornets basketball. We've got plenty more of it coming for you in 2024, so don't you worry. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, everyone. Catch you in 20 next year. See you guys.